the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Life in Colorado. My guest today is Dr. Sharon Ford. She is the Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family. Dr. Sharon Ford, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me on your program today. Well, one of the things that caught my attention as I was looking at information about you and what you do for Focus on the Family is that April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. And I love the word prevention. I mean, right there is a great place to start. And I'm going to quote something that is on a flyer that I picked up about this that basically says that every family needs support, even healthy families. So I, I like to start with a positive. Let's let's talk about how it is that families, even healthy families, can be very supportive of children. That the end result, hopefully, is prevention of abuse. Um, you make a very good point about that every family needs support, and even healthy families. And we can't forget that. That um, how did they get to be healthy families? They probably had support. Boy, when that child was born, who came over? The mother-in-law, the mom, helped her support, provided guidance and education. When, when that phone call came, even after they returned back home, how do I do this? The child's doing that. That was support. It came over a warm line, over the phone. Everybody needs support. And the problem is, is not everybody has support, particularly the kind of support that would help them make a difference in making their choices while they parent, good choices while they parent. And I, I like the way you're starting because essentially what this means is that don't do it alone. I, I don't know how many times probably uh, a new mom, for example, who has never had a child. Yeah, I was fortunate in that, in especially in my teenage years, I actually, uh, my my mother and father divorced, and then I grew up in a, a second family, so to speak, where my my dad and stepmom had other kids, and so I was I I was the built-in babysitter, and so I learned how to change diapers and take care of kids <laughs> and deal with issues and problems, and and so you know when it came time to have my own kids, even though nobody really ever feels ready, I at least had some experience with children, yeah. how to raise yeah. them. But there are a lot of parents who just don't talk talk to that mom or dad. Well, you know, there isn't a manual. When you, when you leave the hospital, there isn't some book, that, you know, 50 pages, 100 pages that says, okay, when the child does this, you do that. Other than knowing to feed them and change their little pants, you know, their diapers, keep them dry, hold them. Um, there's not much more that people say. They don't tell you about, well, everything, every step of the way. But that's why it's so important that people have other people in their lives people who are caring and supportive. And whether it's your first child or it's your third child, you, those families still need support. Because why? New stressors. Every time, every six months, things change in our lives. 
And um, the stress of finances is a major one. The stress in the lack of communication in a marriage, the stress of a child who maybe has um, health issues so that they're medically involved. All those stresses add up, and we all have our breaking point if we don't have someone helping to, in a positive way, relieve those stresses to help us through. And so, unfortunately, the victims of our stress are our children. Yes, it impacts us, our physical bodies, when we're dysregulated, but then the children are, are the recipients of the adult dysregulation. And that's why we're talking about National Child Abuse Prevention Month. How do we prevent children from being victims, from being harmed? And it starts with having a caring community, having loving uh, uh, adults, uh, not only to wrap around the, the adults, the parents of that child, but also supportive people for that child um, who they could trust and speak to about things that maybe are going on in their home. You're bringing up an important point, and that is that I, most parents would would not be abusive just to be abusive. There are things that are going to be on the outside and possibly also on the inside, depending upon what kind of family situation they grew up in. Obviously, sometimes abusers become abusers, or those that were abused become abusers. But I'm, for now, we're, we're going to stick with the normal family. Maybe we'll dive into that deeper uh, issue a little bit later. But for, for those that you are calling a healthy family, they still have stress. I mean, there's financial stress. Do we dare mention COVID and all the stress that's come from that? And and then, as you mentioned, communication within the family. And, and uh, poverty is one that is listed as a stress. So as as these stresses happen in life, which is a normal part of life, where, where do you suppose a parent could find either a release from that stress or you mentioned getting support? And one of the things you mentioned early on was support from other family members. But what if that doesn't exist? What are some resources that are available for parents to deal with these stressors? Um, support is so important. And finding those groups in your community um, that where you can have a safe place to vent and to share your concerns. And sometimes it's not so much as they're going to give you the answer, but just having a release, another adult to share information with. Um, there are small groups, and many of those small groups happen in our community in the church. Um, so whether it's a Bible study or it's a... Uh, reading uh, group that reads a book and they discuss it. Um, those are wonderful places for individuals to go and to be heard and to also listen to other people so that, one, they're not isolated, because that's a clear issue. When people are isolated, um, they're making, and when you're making bad choices and you're isolated, you tend to make more bad choices. So having a safe place where you can go and talk without receiving judgment so that you can um, talk through things, um, talking to your doctor, your, your own personal doctor, um, about some of the things that's going on, and talking about it in a way like, I'm, I'm, I want to be a better mom, I want to be a better dad, and so I find myself um, struggling in this area. doesn't mean you've done anything wrong to your child, but being able to talk through that in a way that allows you to potentially get help. Many hospital plans 
um, whether it's Kaiser or Health One, th- those uh, medical plans sometimes have small health groups that you can participate in. And just you can share as much or as little as you want, but it is a safe place where you can go and connect with other like-minded adults. So it's it's an entire gamut. In other words, there are some, and, and I've been one of those, by the way, who have had to seek professional help. I dealt with addictions in my life. And so the support that you're talking about of just being able to be in a place where you can be open and honest about what's going on, and sometimes that requires a little bit more professional care. But on the other hand, I love that you mentioned that even just a church group or a Bible study where you can just not be isolated but share with others who perhaps you'll find maybe you're struggling through the same things that you are. It's just it really helps to have someone else speak into your life that's another voice. I think you'd agree. It does. It does. Um, we do better with other people who um, who have walked, walked a mile in their own shoes, not in my shoes, but their own shoes. And we can learn from one another. That's what life, you know, being a good life coach, being a good neighbor is all about. So as we continue talking about, and this is Dr. Sharon Ford, by the way, who's my guest, and uh, from Focus on the Family, this, this National Child Abuse Prevention Month, which is the month of April, we are talking about some of the ways that children could be abused, especially if the stress rises in a family and families don't have a healthy way of dealing with that stress. But Sharon, let's let's talk about maybe a definition of what is child abuse. And I know the thoughts on this have changed over the decades, especially the way our society looks at it. For example, there's this question of whether to spank or not to spank. And I can remember having to to wrestle with that very issue in my own fatherhood. And I can remember when I finally decided to spank and, and without abusing, and that's going to be an important note. But I remember I could not stop my child from running into a busy street. They wouldn't. They were not listening to my voice and telling them to stop. And so I realized I had to use a different method to get their attention that did not lead to abuse. And yet, as we've talked about, that that idea and definition of abuse has changed over the centuries, so, or not centuries, but decades. So let's talk about it. What what is child abuse? Well, every state has the definition, their own definition of what is abuse and what's not. And so I encourage anyone listening to go and Google um, definition of child abuse in the state where they reside. And the statute will clearly identify what that is. But one of the things you mentioned about spanking, there's nothing in the law that says that you can't spank your child. Discipline. It's about disciplining your child. And I realize that there, there's people who say, well, spanking is a form of discipline. Okay, but you, if you leave a bruise, if you leave a mark, then that's abuse. And that's that's exactly what we need to clarify, that there, yes, there are things a parent could do to discipline, but it can cross a line to abuse. So keep, keep describing that. And so when you do, when, when a parent crosses the line to, instead of it being a swat on the child's, you know, little hiney, um, that's probably not going to leave a, um, a mark. They've got their undergarments on, they've got their clothing on, and just give a little, you know, swat, you're, that's probably not going to leave a mark. 
But when uh, the parent is out of control, when I've asked the question, well, how many times did you strike your child? Well, I don't know. I was just, I was just, just trying to get their attention. And I'm so, so did you feel like you were in control? Well, I, 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 well, how were you breathing? Talk about what you were doing and what you were feeling. And it's oftentimes when you get that information, they felt out of control. Some of that out of control was their fear that their, chi- their child's life flashed in front of them. Maybe they ran out in front of a car. Maybe they jumped over, um, they were playing Superman or something and jumped off the ledge. And so th- that frightened that parent. And then they used um, um, spanking as a form of getting that child's attention. But they have no idea how many times they struck their child or whether they left a mark. And now that child has gone to school or to daycare and the, that provider is saying, oh, my God, look at, the, look at the bruising on this child. So the adult wasn't in control. That really wasn't discipline. And that is abuse. And that parent needs help. And as you've, as you've talked about, as a parent seeks support, for either from other family members, from church groups, from professional support, uh, that certainly, that discussion can then help the parent realize where the boundaries are, what, where it crosses the line to discipline versus the abuse. But there's more, there's more to it. Uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking about physical abuse, and I want to talk about other kinds of abuse as well. But, uh, you know, for example, I struggled with alcoholism, and I know firsthand that alcoholism can cloud a parent's judgment, just as you talked about. Were you in control as a parent? So there can be a lot of factors that can lead to physical abuse. Uh, again, as I mentioned, sometimes uh, those who were abused pass it on. They become abusers. Talk about that. So um, abuse, I think abuse is a learned thing. And so, yes, victims of abuse who've never dealt with their own victimization um, have, in turn, um, victimized other individuals. And so that, how do you break that cycle of abuse? You need help sitting down with a professional counselor, working through those issues to help um, identify what your triggers are. Were there other um, outside forces like drugs or alcohol? Um, Was there another person present egging you on? Um, You know, like the classroom, um, the um, playground fight, you know, get them, get them, get them. Was there another somebody else, you know, egging you on to, to fight or to do something to that child? Those are things that uh, all need to be looked at. But most importantly, we have to focus on the child, not only for the adult to get the help that they need, but for that victim to get the help and support that they need. That they need to know that there's someone who does care about them, who wants to see their situation changed, wants to see them be healthy and whole, wants to be supportive of them. And so... For every adult out there who's in your listening audience, if you're someone who, who believes um, that you've been out of control, that you've been harming your children, um, and maybe you're even self-harming yourself, doing self-harm, get help. Prevent uh, yourself from being the abuser by getting the help that you need so that the child or children under your purview can be protected and get the help that they need. 
Good words. Good words from Dr. Sharon Ford. She is the Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family. We're talking about National Child Abuse Prevention Month, which is this month. And uh, Dr. Ford, there are other kinds of abuse, too. We've been talking about physical abuse, but I, I know there's there's also abandonment, for example. Talk about other kinds of abuse. So um, we talk about education neglect, and so there, the other part is neglect. And I want you to know that there are way more cases of neglect than there are of physical abuse or, unfortunately, even sexual abuse. And so we have to... Um, Parse out the difference because the, there's different kinds of services for a neglectful situation that are resources that are offered to a parent versus a parent who has, you know, been doing, uh, using physical abuse towards a child. And so, or, or medical abuse or medical neglect, um, withholding, um, medical care to a child who needs say their insulin or some other medical attention that they're supposed to routinely go to the doctor, but you're not taking them to the doctor. Well, why not? Is it a financial issue? Is there some other kind of resource issue? Is it a transportation issue? And so being able to identify what those issues, those under, under, um, the, sur- under the surface issues are about why you're, you're withholding that care from a child needs to be identified so that those resources that can come to play come to play in being able to help that child get their medical needs met or their educational needs met. Our laws require that kids go to school up to a certain age. It's one thing if you're homeschooling and there's a process for that, but if you're not homeschooling and that child's supposed to be in a regular educational system, then why are you withholding their ability to go to school and learn? And so are there some underneath issues that need to be addressed about why you're keeping that child home? Like they're watching the younger children because maybe you passed out and you're not getting the kids up and getting them off to school. So that older child is not wanting to leave the kids unprotected. So they're staying home from school and watching their younger siblings. That's not their role. They're not to be a parentified child. Um, they need to go to school and have their education, too, as do their siblings. And so there's a, a gamut of different kinds of neglect and abuse that the statute addresses. And as I said, people can go to and Google abuse or neglect in my state definitions for that, and they'll get a whole host of information um, to better inform themselves. Dr. Sharon Ford, Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family. I'm going to read a paragraph that I have in front of me that has your picture on it. It says, the goal of this month is to unite families and communities to rally together for the sake of our most precious assets, our children. The best tool we have to protect our vulnerable children is prevention, 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 which is why the theme of this year's campaign is prevention with a purpose. As we have about six minutes left, let's talk about some of the positives. How how is it that this initiative, I, I know Focus on the Family did not start Child Abuse Prevention Month, but they certainly are taking advantage of the raising the awareness by offering uh, not only quotes like this, but other resources. So let's talk about some positives. How can we prevent child abuse? Well, one of the ways that um, one of our strong community partners, which are churches, houses of faith, um, can participate in the prevention piece. Many, day, many um, houses of faith have daycare programs. And so pastors, if you would hold two or three slots 
um, for families who are indigent or who, you know, maybe need drop-in services so that they can, you know, just drop the kids off and mom can just have a break. Um, please make that known to Child Welfare Services so that they can share that information. Have your members share that information widely with people in the community. It's not that um, uh, the church, the kids are supposed to be dropped off and the parents aren't supposed to ever come back, but it's just an opportunity for mom. Maybe she's, it's just a bad day and she, I need my kid to be safe while I go deal with this thing. I think that may be part of what you mean by saying uh, to to unite families and communities together. And I love the fact that you're pointing to the resource of churches. And I've got to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell myself, Sharon. There, there were times that there was a church in our community that offered a Sunday school class. It was a church we went to, but there were times we we dropped the kids off and. Uh, and went out to breakfast, my wife and I. And uh, I have to admit, sometimes the temptation came up. Are we are we going to go back and pick them up? And of course we did. But <laughs> but yeah, so it's just nice to know that yes, there is a safe place where kids can go. Uh, talk about perhaps other other resources available to to families, or maybe resources that you would like to see happen. You know, um, some libraries and communities have like little reading clubs that um, in the afternoons, like one of the, I know like um, once a week in the summertime, Focus on the Family has a movie day. And parents are, you know, are able to bring their children um, to the art theater and they are able to watch a child-appropriate, values-based movie, um, which entertains the child. And the parent can just sit back and relax, and they don't have to engage with their child. They're, it's The children are there to have fun, and the parent can just have a cup of coffee or a pot, uh, soda and, and just, you know, check out. Did, uh, did I just hear you say <laughs> it's okay for parents to take a break? <laughs> of course. We all need a break. <laughs> of course. And so um, finding that place where you can go, whether it's a library um, to your that local, even on a Sunday, you're right. For parents to step away, husbands and wives need time just for them. So for them to take the kids to Sunday school and for them to go have breakfast together and talk out of the out of the um, um, presence of their kids, yeah, that's a good thing. Now, will we first? Yes, they need to come back and pick up the kids, but we would also love to see that family become you know, connected to the church. So not just the kids are getting their spiritual peace ministered to, but that the parents are getting that spiritual food too. I'm watching the clock, Sharon, and we're coming down to about uh, three and a half minutes. One of the statements you made before we started our interview is that if abuse happens, it's very important that people believe victims, they affirm victims, and that they build trust with adults. Talk about that. Boy, we call that the bat. It is so important that if a child singles you out and tells you, I'm being hurt, I'm being, you know, so-and-so hurt me, they give you information, please believe that child. Children typically aren't going to lie about being hurt, okay? Secondly, affirm that child. Help them to know that it wasn't their fault, that it's okay, that they're going to get, you know, you're going to work to get them the help that they need, and then 
pick up the phone and tell. Report it. It's not your job as the person who received that information to do the investigation. Don't ask the 20 questions of the child. That's not your role. There's, that's child welfare's role. Child welfare receives across the nation, I'm sure, over 700,000 calls, referrals about abuse and neglect. Let them do the investigation. They receive the information. They investigate the reports for possible child abuse and neglect. But that call hopefully also allows the system to su- provide supportive services, provide prevention services to families that need assistance and protect them, protection and care for the children who are being impacted by the abuse or neglect. And then if, if necessary, there's a chance and that child needs to come into out-of-home care. Guess what, folks listening? Are you willing to step up and open your heart and your home to be a foster, a temporary foster parent for a child, a safe harbor, a safe shelter for a child? And so whether you're a kin or a, a, um, what we call stranger care, we recruited you from, your, from the community to be a foster parent. Kids who need to be temporarily removed from their home need quality foster families. And every one of the counties in Colorado, all 64 of the counties, would love to have you step forward and open your heart and your home, go through the training, go through the orientation, go through the home assessment process so that you could be a resource for a child. But I want to say this to you guys before we end the program. Everybody plays the role in keeping a child safe. It's not just child welfare services responsibility. It's every single person's responsibility to help keep our children safe. Safe children, helped and supported families, make stronger communities. Uh, it's a great way to end our program. Dr. Sharon Ford, the Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family, thanks for being a part of Life in Colorado.